0: Every Wednesday
1: from 2 to 3 p.m., WRFL invites you to Office Hours, real-world conversations with U.K. professors. No appointment necessary. Representing the 16 colleges across campus, Office Hours brings professors from every corner of U.K. to share their
0: adventures in academia. Go beyond the syllabus and learn more about the people behind the research. We'll be demystifying higher education one interview at a time. Stop by every Wednesday afternoon. Office Hours is available online via wrfl.fm, or on the airwaves on 88.1 FM, Radio Free Lexington.
1: That's right. You are listening to WRFL 88.1, Lexington, Kentucky, U.S. of A. My name is Brian, and I am behind the board at the moment with two wonderful guests, and I will let them introduce themselves. Um, On my left, we have Lynn Phillips. Lynn? Lynn?
2: My name is Lynn Roach Phillips and I'm faculty member in the Geography Department.
0: And my name is Lindsay Funky. I am a student in the Geography Department.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Um, Lynn, before we even get into some of maybe your specific interests in research, you are also going to next year be one of the co-directors of a new right. Learning Living program right. uh, Lex Engaged. Right. So tell us a little bit about that and what all that encompasses. Sure. I'm going to be co-faculty
2: director with three other faculty members uh, from one from College of Arts and Sciences and then two from CAFE, the College of Agriculture, Food and the Environment, and we're all four going to uh, coalesce and be the faculty directors of a new living learning community that will house 200 incoming freshmen, um, called Lex Engaged. And the purpose of this living learning community is uh, focus on civic engagement and service learning. With an emphasis on social justice issues, the other faculty member from College of Arts and Sciences is Dr. Rosie Musnick, who is a sociologist, and we have put together a course uh, that has been pre-approved as a UK core course called uh, Social Justice 101. And students who are in Lex Engaged will take this Social Justice 101 course along with let's say their fall semester. Then their spring semester, they'll take another course that is UK core approved. Ours is citizenship, what is the rubric? Uh, Citizenship Culture in the United States. And the folks from the College of Ag have created a course that will fulfill the core requirements for social studies. Their course is going to be taught by uh, Lori Garkovich, who is uh, within the community and leadership development. She's an ag economist, and their course will focus on creating leadership within communities. So we're looking forward to 200 excited freshmen to come into our dorm community. We have Merit Weekend coming up this weekend, and we're hoping to recruit some students uh, to come live with us uh, next year.
1: So there's the social justice piece of the puzzle. Yes. And then there's also Next year, there's a focus, right? On, right. On, so is that is that focus change year to year? And then yes. is that just one course in it, or is that the whole? No,
2: that's the theme right. for the for the community engagement okay. and the outreach okay. um, that will happen through the course of uh, the freshman year of these students. And uh, next year, we're going to be uh, it'll be the year of the horse. And we're focusing on social justice and leadership issues within the equine community. Since Lexington is the horse capital of the world, a lot of students come to Lexington without any understanding about uh, the nuance associated with that. A lot of times, students only know horse racing from the experiences that they may have had at Keeneland or watching the Derby on television. And it's all glitz and glamor and high rollers and lots of money. But um, there's a side to that industry that is That is typically untold. And we'll be telling the backstory associated with uh, the thoroughbred industry here in Lexington. You know, it has provided tremendous opportunity for a lot of people for several hundred years here in Lexington. Um, But these are the people who don't get, uh, who aren't in the winner's circle, so to speak, when a horse um, takes home a first prize. Um, And we'll be telling their story.
1: Excellent. And so, um, some, what do some of those partnerships look like So, to give a student I- an idea of like what kind of back-end things they'll be looking at or kind of studying?
2: Well, one of the more obvious things associated with the horse industry is, who takes care of these horses? And when we look at the economy of Lexington, historically, you know, the laborers within the industry were initially slaves. Or owners of people who were indentured, um, you know, masters, if you will, who held indentured persons. And these were typically people of color. Through time, that has changed, that has shifted to where we don't see very many people of color, but people who are not native to this region, uh, folks principally from Central America. There are also some people who come from parts of Europe, including, uh, I've met people, groomsmen who are from Poland, people who are from Russia, former Soviet republics. So we'll look at who is actually engaged behind the scenes in this industry, and why are they there? Uh, What are the issues that they have to encounter? For instance, if you're a family who's moving here from Guatemala, Let's say to work on a horse farm. There are a lot of issues associated with uh, where you live, uh, services that are available for your families, uh, where do you buy food, what is your transportation, Uh, what does the public transportation look like in Lexington because uh, so many of these people, uh, their families at least, rely on the public transportation system. So we're going to try to give kids who may not see the way the other half lives an opportunity to see that and uh, to understand that as a student at the University of Kentucky that comes with a lot of privilege and not many others within this community have that same privilege
1: sure so not that I'm trying to make you project too far into the future but you know next year is year of the horse Yes. Um, and then have you already kind of talked with um, your other co-direct in terms of visions for what future years could be? Well,
2: we've talked about uh, potentially issues associated with equity to fresh food. Uh, We've talked about uh, transportation, just issues associated with transportation per se. You know, the folks over in the College of Ag are involved with a lot of uh, education initiatives uh, looking at how there is an inequity within our school district. You would think that Fayette County has an exemplary school district, but there are inequities within the school system. Uh, we've talked about uh, focusing on local education, primary education too. But that's, again, we're, we're kind of trying to get the ball rolling for this fall semester. Since this is our first year with this uh, with this living, learning community, we want to make sure that we go we're off to a good start. And uh, I'm sure that there'll be momentum and ideas that evolve. Sure. Um, you know, as we undertake this uh, this program, um,
1: and uh, living learning programs obviously becoming a lot more prevalent on UK's campus over the last couple years. Um, where do you know where you're housed um, next year?
2: Yes, I do.
1: Are you in Woodland Glen or in Champions or? Champions
2: Court. We're in Champions Court. We're going to be facing Euclid Avenue. North Campus, right? On North Campus. We specifically requested North Campus so that students could see what was going on downtown. Mm Because Unfortunately, so many students uh, come to the University of Kentucky and don't realize that there are things beyond uh, Memorial Coliseum and uh, don't venture, don't venture downtown.
1: Don't Um, venture the two blocks.
2: Right, exactly, (laughs) that it takes. And uh, so we're trying to get students geographically more proximate uh, to where it's all happening downtown. And uh, yeah, we're in Champions Court.
1: Very good, very good. So if you were an incoming freshman, Lindsay, would this sound interesting to you?
0: I think it would sound interesting to me, I was fortunate enough to live on North Campus before Holmes Hall was mm-hmm. destroyed, may it rest <laughs> in pieces, but um, in pieces. <laughs> learning more about the economy of Lexington and all of the social processes that form it would be quite interesting to me as a freshman. Yeah. Being able to, I'm not from Lexington, and I've been fortunate enough to study some of these things that Lynn is discussing. But I would definitely like to be involved in a yeah. living learning community, and that's something that I sure. wasn't involved in. Sure. yeah.
2: and and one of the benefits too to the living learning community, at least, um, the empirical data show that living learning communities in other universities and other campuses um, actually enhance retention, uh, reduce issues of uh, you know anxiety associated with no longer being at home, homesickness, um, having a, a community of students that share your, uh, social focus, your um, you know your interests uh, tends to enhance academic achievement sure. um, and success throughout their college career.
1: Indeed. So, with that, let's take a short break, and uh, I know it's it's already flying by, and then we'll be right back here with more office hours. Eighty-eight point one, Radio Free Lexington, and this is Office Hours, and I'm here with. Lynn Phillips, who we've been talking with, and Lynn Roach Phillips slapped my wrist and uh, it's okay. and also undergraduate student uh, Lindsay Funky, who introduced herself a little bit earlier but let 's get into asking talking to Lindsay a little bit. Um, Lindsay, uh, you said you are from somewhere else. Where is somewhere else besides Lexington?
0: Somewhere else is around. <laughs> <laughs> my family moved around a lot when I was younger, so I don't necessarily feel geographically tied to one place. But I was born in Louisville, and I say Louisville, so clearly I didn't live there for very long. <laughs> and from there, um my family moved up to Northern Kentucky and then out to Seattle, washington.
1: so has your is your has your coming from around? Um, had any kind of uh, influence on your interest in geography?
0: Absolutely. I think, well moving from a place like Seattle, Washington back to Kentucky, I moved back to Somerset, Kentucky which is a drastically different place Um, and that gave me an experience of seeing how two different cities, two different places can have such different atmospheres feelings, people, and economies that really sparked my curiosity and in life and seeing how people develop um, based on their spaces and where they're in because I found myself transitioning and uh, as I moved around.
1: um, And So when you came to the University of Kentucky did you know that geography was already something that you were kind of looking to study?
0: I knew that I wanted to take a human geography course because it wasn't offered at my high school and I found the concept so intriguing so I signed up for that my freshman year first semester And from there, my interest kind of grew. I came in as international studies. And I found something very tangible within geography that uh, piqued my interest with geographic information systems, with urban planning, with geographic thought, um, economic geographic analysis. Because my interests were uh, in community development and international organizations and aid. And I found something uh, quite tangible and exciting within the geography department. And ultimately, I decided to declare geography.
1: Excellent.
2: And Lindsay is among our our best majors. She's a wonderful asset to every class she's in.
1: And I heard that uh, you well, you're a junior now. Yes. But you may be going away from Lexington for a while next year.
0: Yes. Tell I me will. about that. Um, I'll be finishing up my all my required courses this semester. I'm in my senior research seminar right now, and um, from there I will be going to University of Massachusetts at Boston to undertake. An exchange program for fall semester, studying community development, Portuguese, and a few other courses that weren't offered here at UK. So I'm going to be taking my geography experience and building upon that in some really exciting ways. Uh,
1: so I'm interested, maybe a little bit in, I mean, I think geography as a discipline seems to be kind of, um, you know, I don't want to say in flux, but it seems to be kind of changing. Um, more and more in the technology digital age um, uh, and has kind of a whole new kind of arm to it right. in a way. Yeah. Um, how does what Lindsay is interested in, what she's doing, and what geographers from 30 years ago, how is it both similar and then um, different to both of you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, with with GIS stuff that you're interested in and, um, like, what kinds of things do you want to use in, you know, in projecting and kind of into your future?
0: Absolutely. I think that GIS has had a very militaristic background, um, especially... 30 and 40 years ago, and for me, I'd like to take it more to a place of peace and a place of progress, and using these technologies in a way that can serve the larger community, whether that is internationally or here um, in Kentucky, looking at natural resources, um, mapping different things like uh, coal mine, mountaintop removal, and things like that. So I'd like to take it out of a militaristic place, which is something that's been happening, but there's
1: Still work
2: to be done. Absolutely. (laughs) And um, just to to back up a little bit, what GIS is, it stands for Geographical Information Systems, and it's a a computer software uh, assembly that allows us to do mapping. And um, probably everybody, as a child, had a book that was, let's just say, a human anatomy book. And there was a page that had the skeletal system. Then there may be a transparent overlay page that would flop on top of the skeletal system that may be the circulatory system. Then you could take another transparent page and overlay the circulatory system and uh, the muscle system, whatever it may be. And uh, what geographic information systems is, is an electronic way of creating those overlays with data. And uh, everyone loves maps. I've never met anyone who didn't love maps and um, maps tell a tremendous story, uh, pictures worth a thousand words, and um, GIS is an opportunity to take really complex information and to condense it into something that is a picture. And um, we in in the geography department have uh, several faculty who specialize in critical analysis um, through use of GIS. And it is a, for some students, GIS is a skill set that other disciplines do not have, do not bring to the table, so that gives them a leg up in the job market. And, um, but it is also for researchers, not an end to itself. It is a tool to use to understand um, you know, some critical systems.
0: I would absolutely agree with
1: that statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Um, Lynn, Also, tell us a little bit about some of your um, research interests and specializations yeah. mm-hmm. that you do with inside of the department.
2: Well, um, I'm a teaching professor, so only 10% of my time is allocated to research. But um, what I'm interested in is city and regional planning, and specifically um, the encroachment of urban land uses onto rural land. Um, cities have been overstudied. I'm really interested in what's going on in the rural setting. And um, I, uh, for, my, for my dissertation research, looked at uh, the thoroughbred industry. Uh, the thoroughbred industry is a... Um, is an industry that is very sensitive to sprawl however you want to define sprawl. Uh, Thoroughbred horses because they've been inbred for centuries are very skittish. Um, they're very um, you know fast-tempered um, but they're also potentially animals that are worth millions of dollars apiece. So if there is a an incompatible land use let's say there's a a neighborhood, a subdivision that grows up next to a horse farm where there are multi-million dollar horses and the garbage truck comes along and the garbage truck uh, wants to go in reverse and uh, makes that awkward beeping noise that garbage trucks make, that could potentially spook the horses and when horses spook, they just run. Uh, It's a a flight um, instinct, and if they were to run into, let's say, a fence, um, hit a branch, run into another horse, they could potentially um, uh, break a leg, break a bone, and have to be put down. So thoroughbred farmers are especially sensitive to incompatible land uses. So in my research, I use the thoroughbred industry as a measure of sprawl. Uh, to see whether or not farms have been able to stay intact, whether they've been required to move. And I did a comparative analysis uh, between Ocala, Florida, which is another thoroughbred capital, and uh, Lexington. And um, interestingly enough, both communities, Lexington and Ocala, have planning programs in place um, that are called growth management programs and that is um, they're intended their planning programs are intended to encourage development towards urban spaces that already exist um, and to allow those rural areas to remain rural. Uh, so I wanted to compare the two um, to see who is doing a better job. And uh, long story short, Lexington is doing a better job um, than Ocala is because Ocala is in Florida, <laughs> and uh, poor Florida. Um, you know, for the past 50 years, uh, Florida has been uh, its economy has been based on a very unsustainable model of residential development and tourism and um, it, has, it has cost them in terms of uh, their agricultural economy. So those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in, but um, I teach classes in city and regional planning and am always interested in service learning opportunities for our students in planning to go out and help solve community issues related to planning. So that's what, that's what makes me excited.
1: Excellent, well, once again, we're going to take another break, because that's how much we have time flying by here on (laughs) Office Hours. Be right back once again. Keep it tuned to WRFL 88.1 Radio Free Lexington. All right, back here on WRFL 8.1 with Spike Jones and the City Slickers, uh, whose, their name in in and of itself is uh, kind of geographically helpful for our conversation, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, with also a song about the horse racing industry, uh, which was a song called Beetle Bomb. Well, actually it's it's the William Tell Overture But I just call it Beetle Bomb because that's the cooler name for it. It's a cooler name. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah's back with us.
2: I'm a little late to the party, but that's I'm okay. here. I'm here with Lynn and Lindsay and Brian, of course, master of the board.
1: Um, but yeah, let's uh, get back into our, our conversation. Lindsay, just during the break right now, we were talking a little bit about your undergraduate research project, um, and. Give us kind of the insight on that.
0: So it kind of uh, follows similar lines as what Lynn was talking about earlier. Um, I'm interested in the relationship between the urban and rural areas of Fayette County, how the policies have kind of played out. Lexington is a really interesting city in that it was the first in the United States to have an urban service boundary created. And what that is is that there was a line drawn on the map and the city said, we will not provide services like sewer outside of this line. So it's kind of a way to um, manage costs and also to hopefully prevent sprawl. So um, I'm kind of looking at how these different land preservation policies have played out, what that means for people within this boundary and what that means for people Mm -hmm. outside the boundary. Kind of figuring out where the winners and losers in this whole kind of situation is, what um, types of things are being incentivized um, and where is the, where's the focus line? I'm, I'm interested in seeing how we can move forward and we have a lot of great rural policies in place to keep this land preserved. But what does that mean for the inside of our city? How can we incentivize um, living within
2: mm-hmm. the bounds. Yeah, and part. Of, if I can just follow on to that. Sure. Um, one of the criticisms of this Growth Management Program called the Urban Services Boundary that Lindy, Lindsay just uh, articulated is that it provides a limited supply of land, and economists will tell you that anytime you limit the supply, you're going to drive up the cost. Uh, uh, for uh, any time that there's a demand. So uh, many critics of the urban services boundary and this growth management tool say that it drives up housing costs. And um, one of the other criticisms is that it is not a regional policy. And uh, those of us who have driven Nicholasville Road or even Harrodsburg Road, uh, you can almost see the demarcation of the urban services boundary on the landscape where you go from a very dense Lexington um, you know, intensive urban land uses um, to a rural space. Um, but then as you enter Jesmond County, you see that it's even more intensive um, because uh, Jesmond County does not have any kind of gross management program in place.
1: So um, Lindsay and Ellen, I mean, do you, what is that meant for um, like housing developments just over the line? Right? Does that have people kind of been hesitant to put in kind of new developments just outside the line because of some of the things that they wouldn't be provided? Right. Is that kind of shown up as a.
2: Yeah, inside the Urban Services Boundary we have very dense development and uh, it's pretty evident if you're driving on I-75-64 at the Northern Splash, uh, you can look to the south and you can see very clearly on the landscape where the Urban Service Boundary exists. Mm -hmm. Here in Lexington, because we want to preserve our rural lands, because Lexington is the horse capital of the world, this is uh, an unparalleled landscape um, in terms of its beauty, Um, we try to densify um, housing to the maximum extent and uh, that means small lots um, particularly for um, single-family single-family development and the smaller the lot size presumably the lower the housing cost because the rule of thumb is the housing the cost of a house is about 25% Land. So the, the, the overall cost of your house. You buy a hundred thousand dollar home. About thirty thousand dollars invested in that hundred thousand is the cost of land. So if you can shrink down the amount of land that's required for the house, which means more dense, um, you know, residential accommodations, then you're going to reduce the overall cost. Um, there have been studies though that show that uh, outside of Portland Uh, because Portland is probably the, the, it's the poster child for urban service boundaries. Um, Lexington adopted it's in 1957. Portland adopted one in 1972, but they're the ones who get all the the good publicity associated with it. (laughs) And, um, but inside and outside the urban services boundary in Portland, there is no um, significant difference in price in housing.
1: Was it different in Um, Portland maybe because of the way the city grew differently? Yes.
2: And um, also, Portland's uh, boundary has not been fixed. Anytime that Portland needs more land, they just, Mm -hmm. they grow. Um, So they've been able to keep up with it. Um, But here in Lexington, we've only experienced one major expansion since its initial adoption in 1957.
1: And so when people talk about Lexington um, with their um, uh, big plans and bright eyes for the future, and they think of Lexington as a growing city um, of 400,000 people, then 500,000 people. That's not probably a realistic kind of um, projection because if the line is kind of made, um, the only way that's going to happen is if it's through Scott County and Jessamine County and and the neighboring counties because that's where people will... I mean, so the bluegrass area will kind of... Central bluegrass can grow, but can Lexington really... Can Lexington really grow that much more if we have that line?
2: Horizontally, maybe not. Vertically, heck yeah. We've got a lot of room to grow. And um, the city has taken an inventory of all the unused, underutilized properties in town. And um, there are several agencies that are trying to market those properties to encourage development on, you can think of it as a, a gap tooth smile, uh, so to speak, some of the underutilized lots uh, within downtown and within our existing urban areas. It makes no sense if you've already got water, sewer line streets, curb, gutter, um, and there are a couple of undeveloped lots to expand the urban services boundary outward mm-hmm. in a horizontal way and lay new water, sewer, curb, gutter, streets uh, when you've already got it in town. And um, any time that we can uh, encourage development on existing lots um, I think that's a win-win for everybody. It uh, enhances property values and, and takes advantage of the economies of scale that already exist with water, sewer, and services being in place. So that's the policy of our city, is to promote infill development, is what it's called, and densification. And uh, we're seeing that uh, you know, here around campus with all the student housing that's grown up in Angliana, Red Mile area. Um, the city would like to encourage Um, densification on those lands Angliana in particular are former tobacco warehouses which um, around the year 1999-2000 with the tobacco master settlement the tobacco buyout program we don't need tobacco warehouses anymore and Mm -hmm. this was prime real estate that was located uh, you know in close proximity to the university and um, provided all the services that uh, we pay for so uh, we've seen those areas redevelop as uh, student housing and um, you know, we see redevelopment happening uh, across the city. Um, there uh, the Turflin Mall shopping center on Harrodsburg Road. Malls are becoming uh, defunct, if I can mm. say that, <laughs> misfunky. Um, they're becoming passe. Mm-hmm. Um, people can buy things on the internet. Uh, they don't have to take up their time and use their gas and uh, resources to be able to shop. They can do it all on- online. And malls had been a gathering space for, for younger people. Mm-hmm. Don't need that anymore. You can tweet, you can Snapchat, you can, you know, Skype, you can uh, you know, simultaneously have a conversation, you know, laying in your bed with six or seven different people in six or seven different locations. So but you can't do but, that and need a soft pretzel and cookie. Exactly. <laughs> and to exactly. A, an exactly. indoor waterfall. <laughs> yeah, and try on try on clothes. <laughs> right. But the Turflin Mall, um, went defunct and is now being redeveloped. University of Kentucky has purchased a portion hmm. of it. And uh, UK, the Kentucky Clinic South will be located there. I think they're moving like oh. uh, April 6th, I think, is the <laughs> first day in that location. <laughs> I'm going to stay. So, <laughs> so
1: um, from your perspective, Lindsay, what else? What are, what are the findings that did you find um, maybe um, that surprised you or or was interesting to you in terms of the winners, the losers, the kind of – things that you've researched?
0: Well, right now I'm in the research phase, okay. so I don't have all of my findings. But what I'm really interested in um, are these social justice issues that come up as people, um, as we're trying to push for infill development and things like that, um, people who have, may have already been confined to this urban area, what does the future look like for them? Is Does this infill development price them out of their own homes right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of want to see that would be a future project to check out more of the urban futures, um, but it's all about the relationship between the urban and rural for me, and that what's being incentivized and who yeah. is
2: yeah. And one of the other issues that uh, Lindsay will probably look at is the availability of transportation. Public transportation is uh, a critical issue for any city that's growing. And uh, anyone who's driven Harrisburg or Nicholasville Road knows that traffic is problematic in this community. For a city its size, we have uh, some significant traffic issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but you cannot have a successful transit system without density, without people who live you know, near those routes. So that will be a part of the story that Lindsay will have to uh, tell too, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely, and I'm interested in, like you were talking about earlier, the more regional perspective on the bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, if the goal of this urban service boundary is to protect the bluegrass that makes Lexington so special, what about the other counties? What about Paris, who has all of the horse farms up there too? Um, So understanding how a regional approach, if we are trying to save this resource and something that draws tourism here to Lexington, what does that look like for other counties that might be taking on our sprawl that's restricted here? Because we have lots of people traveling every day to work from our surrounding counties, and their farmland is being eaten up perhaps at a greater rate because there aren't policies in place. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thing that I'm interested in as yeah. well. Interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah. And the poster child, I guess, for that would be Jasmine County. County. Jasmine mm-hmm. County is still operating with a very small um, minimum lot size for their rural area. Here in Lexington, we have a 40-acre minimum lot size, which is a huge tract of land, um, and uh, But the intention of having such a large lot size outside of the urban services boundary is to create um, attractive a, a property that where farming can happen, so that there won't be McMansions located within Lexington. Mm-hmm. It won't be an individual property buyer who wants to build a house, it'll be you know, a commercial um, agricultural operation, whether it's uh, horse industry or whether it's some other agricultural operation.
1: Very good. You know what that means?
0: <laughs> Time for a break. <laughs> Time for a break. Time for a break. Let's do
1: it. It's, it's just—it's like clockwork because I'm actually looking at the clock <laughs> to tell me when those things happen. So stay tuned. More office hours. Town the homestretch. That was Gene Pitney with uh, "Town Without Pity," which is my connection nice to. Choice. Yeah. Well, plus it's just a great song. It's a great song. <laughs> uh, since we were talking uh, urban planning and sprawl and all of that. Um, You know, that seemed like apropos. So we're coming down the uh, home stretch. Only about 10 minutes left here with our guests. Um, And then we'll have a tearful goodbye. And we'll all have group hug and it'll be, you know, all that. But before that, um, let's talk to Lindsay some more about uh, her life as an undergraduate geography student.
0: Absolutely. We only have a few more minutes left. With there's a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) What are we gonna do? The dynamic duo. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think students think? It means to be a geography major. Do you think there's I any I don't think anybody can no. <laughs> Okay. It's I a think mystery. That it, it, it is absolutely a mystery. Really? Um, it's quite an inter- interdisciplinary subject. So I go from day to day, from maybe making a map of some bus shelters in downtown Lexington, and then 10 minutes later, I'm talking about cloud formation oh, um, in a different class, and then maybe the global economy the next morning. So, geography provides a really unique way of thinking. A lot of it is process based, um, but it also provides these critical thinking skills and then backed up with tools like GIS, urban planning, and things like that. So, it's been everything's new. It's been an adventure for me because mm-hmm. I'm never doing the same thing in any one class. But it all strings together in a certain way.
2: One of the issues that geography has, it, it Uh, Folks tend to think of it as just memorizing maps Mm -hmm. and capitals and uh, the kinds of things that you did in your fifth grade social studies class. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But geography is a a way of thinking, a a way to approach problems. And um, I have students who have taken my classes. I teach also a GEO 160, which is going to be offered next semester on uh, Tuesday and Thursdays. Next well, you're registering semester. for classes <laughs> here. I think it's say that over again. 11 o'clock, <laughs> the only GEO 160 lands, uh, actually, I'm not sure if we changed the name, Lands and People the Non-Western World is what its name is currently. Um, but I've had students who say to me uh, that they now understand the way that the world works. Wow. Um, they understand what geopolitics are. They understand um, why the world does not like the United States. Um, because it provides them, geography provides them a critical lens um, to mm. look at various events in, uh, in a different uh, kind of light than what you typically see in the, in the mass media.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite courses was taught by um, Dr. Susan Roberts, and it was a course on globalization and the changing world economy and tracking all these different processes that come together to create the world we see around us today. And really, for me, I've taken economics classes, But this got down to the functioning of what we see and how maybe things can be changed. So it comes down, it shows reality and how reality got into place, what you can do about it. Mm So, so students should just sign up for more geography mm-hmm. classes, oh, absolutely. Uh, even if they're not going in a geography major. Even if you're yeah. not a geography major, I would strongly suggest taking the courses as it provides a unique mm-hmm. e- um, experience.
2: Well, and because um, our undergraduates are so focused on the UK core requirements, we have um, classes that fit under the global dynamics rubric, uh, the social studies rubric, as well as the and citizenship creativity. and arts and creativity oh. wow. rubric. So we, awesome. we have a lot of opportunity for folks to be able to knock out some of those required credit hours.
1: Well, I think um, even you know, from the conversation we've had today that uh, you can, hopefully people have learned a little bit about that, um, how, while geography has always been um, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary, that the the face of it's kind of been changing yeah, as well. It yeah, and it um, it's a kind of really uh, interactive and lively kind of uh, place. It's, yeah, it's, and it's not
2: it's, looking at stagnant maps on the wall and no, trying it's, to it's nah, memorize really, It's
1: really growing and it's really um, a, a place where, like Lindsay has shown with her research and what she wants to do in the future, um, affect change. Yes. And uh, you know that is what a lot of students that's where a lot of their um, interests lie um, these days coming out of high school is, how can I make a difference? What can I do? Mm Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, I think geography is uh, a discipline that's really kind of lending itself to the students that are interested in it. I I think so
2: too, and I think, You know, students who take my urban planning class have little to no understanding of how government works and um, how things like a rezoning tend to happen, but um, I encourage students to attend these public meetings, give them a little bit of background, uh, teach them who all the players are, the stakeholders involved with these decisions, and let them decide whether or not a proposed rezoning should uh, be approved or not, um, and of course, rezonings dictate um, uh, land use change that may take place in a certain uh, in a certain part of town.
1: Um, I since we only have a few minutes left, and uh, I like to have fun, and we ha- we have two geographers with us. Um, I'm just gonna ha- we're gonna have fun lightning round. <gasps>
0: Oh, I oh, am going great. down. I don't, <laughs> don't think they'll give me my diploma. Oh, you don't even know <laughs> the question. <laughs> I don't, <even> know, <laughs> don't, I don't know if there's the really any wrong
1: or right answers to okay. these okay, go. questions. Um, uh, but I will give you two choices, and you just kind of tell me which one you are feeling in your gut. Okay. Um, uh, Paris, Tokyo. Tokyo. Mm. Mega city. <laughs> Um uh, Seattle, since Lindsay has Seattle connection, or Vancouver.
0: Seattle.
2: Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver, way yeah. more sustainable? <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: Cooler. <Oops. laughs> Cooler literally in figuratively. <antiquity>. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, chocolate eclair. Banana cream pie.
0: Chocolate eclair.
2: Chocolate Eclair, I yeah. mean, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Mm,
1: I thought I thought pie just in general would rally a little bit better. Because
2: of the shape and sort of the diagram nature of pie? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's more defined.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Eclairs can take on any kind of like
2: You don't make an Eclair diagram. No. Or an Eclair no. chart. Mm-hmm. So can we turn the tables on you, Brian? Uh,
1: pff, sure. Did Always. you read,
2: did you read the news today? A little bit. Yeah. Did you read anything that had to do with
1: geography? Um, everything has to do with geography. <laughs> Good Boom. Good yeah. answer. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, uh, you know, I was reading, uh, unfortunately, I mean, well, my, uh, you can decide for yourself if it's fortunate or unfortunate, Ted Cruz news um, about, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's... Actually mm-hmm. the news about him is very geographical because the whole issue of him being born in Canada right. uh, he's mm-hmm. a representative in, in Texas, Texas yeah. and then he had his um, his announcement in Virginia right. at Liberty Liberty University um, so he has been very uh sprawling himself in terms of uh, <laughs> <Nice> <laughs> in terms of what he's representing um, geographically Um, and it's it's interesting to see what, you know, what places people kind of uh, lean to and go to when they're looking for support and how to build their network. Um, And uh, I mean, our country is very, very in many ways have has lines of demarcation for where things happen blue and things happen red yeah. um, and so that still holds true um, for obviously lots of political reasons right. and so uh, yeah that was my answer everything's ge- everything's, everything's geography and everything's yeah. geography
2: well and um, you know one thing that uh, I talked about in my class today is um, the advancement of ISIS uh, through Mm -hmm. Iraq and Syria, and that is geography in the moment and potentially nation-building by a group of people who have no state sponsorship, who have no uh, kind of government UN credibility behind them. So, you know, that's a very important issue, um, and people like Ted Cruz are Talking about U.S. boots on the ground um, to deal with ISIS, and you know that is a, a critical issue on so many different levels.
1: Indeed. Well, I've, uh, I've I feel exhausted now mm-hmm. because because the, the tables got wrong. turned on me. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like I ran out of steam. Yeah. You overexerted with that lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a new staple, though. Yeah, well, I didn't even—I hadn't really given any thoughts, so my lightning round questions weren't necessarily great. Next week's, Um, but yeah, Um, I'm I'm still
0: rooting for Seattle. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sorry, Vic. I'm
2: I'm mega cities.
1: I don't—I don't even know. Um, I will leave. I talked to Lynn and Lindsay both a little bit earlier today, and I asked them what music they like, and they both agreed that they like the Shins. And so we're going to leave with a song that kind of still, once again, the title of it um, ties into their urban planning and, and mm. sprawl. Uh, here we will take us out with Gone for Good.
0: Office Hours is produced in cooperation with WRFL and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. This broadcast theme song is Sandu, performed by Hugo Drupi Contini and provided by the Free Music Archive.